Welcome back to another Impact Night of the Impact HK3. This is episode 145. Your host, ID3, Fires and Drone Search. Tonight's tongues are Blake Thornton, Plastic Change Agent Pro, and Anika S. Jones. Blake Thornton, please say hello again to the people. Good evening, everybody, and I really, really appreciate being here. And uh, good evening to my esteemed panel mate. Wonderful. And Anika S. Jones, please say hello to the people. Hello, hello, and good evening. Thank you for uh, having me on, and I'm so excited about this conversation tonight. I'm ready. We know you are. Well, tonight's topic is one mm, that is so crucial. And it's so... What's the word I'm looking for? It takes a strong person to be able to do this. And that is forgiveness and reconciliation for student behavior post-COVID-19. Managing students' behavior during COVID-19 can be a painful experience for teachers. And diffusing small behaviors before they become big problems require a skillful balance of concealing your emotions and using techniques to de-escalate those behaviors. Theorists and psychologists, John B. Watson, who was a pioneering psychologist who played an essential role in developing behaviorisms, he said, and he also believed, that psychology should primarily be observable scientific behavior. What does that mean? Well, it's a part of the discussion we're going to break down tonight into bite-sized pieces. Watson is remembered for his research on the conditioning process. According to Watson, 1997, the core of the theory of caring is that humans cannot be treated as objects and that humans cannot be separated from self, nature, and a larger social group, a larger workforce, a larger place for humans to interact. So this learning theory states that behaviors are learned from the environment and says that innate or inherited factors have very little influence on those behaviors. So tonight, we're going to talk about uh, environments. We're going to talk about providing opportunities. We're going to talk about how to interact, articulate thinking. And we're going to hopefully put in some missing pieces, those puzzles. And with that being said, I want to uh, bring on... Mika S. Jones, I just want you to tell this audience hello again. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on currently and where you're from. Okay, so I am from the Dallas area by way of New Orleans. Um, Currently, my consulting firm, Holistic Fluency, is an education consulting firm. We are launching a subscription box and course, online course, uh, that's curated, geared towards adolescents, because adolescence is a super tricky time, right? And a lot of the things, those essential skills for life that need to be taught 
uh, it's not really happening at the same rate, at the same level, same scope, right? All those words um, that it really needs to. So students, young people find themselves, uh, you know, kind of grasping and running around later in life trying to make up for some of those coping skills and self-regulation, the self-management, decision-making, a lot of that, uh, trying to get that together later in life. But we do know, you know, a lot of the time is of the essence, you know, certain opportunities you have to be ready and truly prepared for as best as you can. And so we know that the box, box and course is called Recipe, a Rite of Passage, that it will get them ready for those moments. So they're ready to strike when the iron's hot. So super excited about that. Um, and again, super excited to be here and have this, these conversations that need to happen and support educators, parents, and anyone that is working in and supporting young people in their spaces. That was so important what you said, and you know we're so grateful to have you here because when I you know, went through your, your website, your bio, um, and research um, intently on you, I, and I noticed that you have a gift to stimulate interest. You have that gift to stimulate curiosity, right? And I think that is so needed uh, as the role of a consultant and the role of instruction. And with that being said, there's experience that you have along with those resources that you have that are equipping our students, equipping our learners, equipping our scholars holistically. Your products cater to the whole child. And so before I ask you a question, the first question that I want to ask, I want to answer this. With your experience in, in working in education, what are some of the needs that you have found um, that you know children have needed before COVID-19, but they are really uh, almost like uh, in a drought now of, of receiving you know those certain services? Uh, we want to we want to just walk with you. Uh, we want to we want you to share with us. And we want to see it through your lens. What are students really needing? And what information really needs to transmit to our learners to help them collaborate, interact, and most importantly, cooperate with educators? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, uh, I was thinking some more about um, the quote <clears throat> and the psychologist uh, theory that you mentioned, uh, Dr. Watson, earlier. And it's like it's not, it's, to me, it's never been by accident that some of the biggest leaps in development and human development are the most social phases, right? So we talk about like that when kids are six and under. And then again, it's super, super um, another big jump, um, I call it time phase two, when they hit about middle school, but it's those intense social interactions when the biggest developments can happen. So when I'm interacting with young people, most of my experience honestly has been um, in middle school. So a lot of people think, you know, I'm crazy. Like, oh my gosh, middle schoolers, but that, that's, those are my people. They really are. Um, I get it. But one of the biggest things, or a couple big things, is first the self-awareness. 
And when I say self-awareness, I mean at a very base level, like literally knowing what you like, what you don't like. Because a lot of the young people um, get into like a group think mode. Okay, well, this is popular. This is what we're supposed to like. So this is what I like. And it truly may not be. So, you, you know, working on their awareness as an individual, um, you know, how they learn best. Um, what, what are your things that could actually work for you to be organized? What are some things that you are interested in trying? What is your personality type? So what are some careers you're interested in you might be good at? So that's, that's level one because I truly feel that as an educator and a parent that once you know about yourself, you can learn anything, you can do anything because you have that literal awareness at that point. Uh, the next big thing is, is a big umbrella, but I'm going to kind of put some things underneath the umbrella. Communication. So, yes, being able to present and articulate and express yourself appropriately, but also something you mentioned, collaboration. So, okay, what happens when we're not agreeing? So those conflict resolution skills. Um, and then also advocating for yourself. So still, okay, yes, it's okay to be angry, but what do you do? What do you say when you're angry? Okay, you didn't like how that went, so how can you express that you didn't like the way that it went? If I had to choose, like, the two biggest pieces, that is what I would say, uh, I guess, been coupled with more people, more adults, honestly, in spaces that understand and have these skills and strategies to be able to support students while they're learning this or give the students the skills and strategies while they're learning this. Oh, wow. That, that was so important what you said and so vital. And and I want to bring in uh, Buddy Thornton, but before I do, I want to thank you so much, Anika, uh, for just giving a wealth of information. I know you talked, I gave you a question about, you know, what are some of the things that you saw and, and you noticed and you've experienced working with uh, secondary education. And, you know, you, you told me about that, that identity uh, thing. That, that identity is so uh, important. Uh, and it is tied to, and that's why I'm about to bring Buddy in, tied to, I think, those family challenges, or let's just be real, family issues, which are a major, a key factor. We're talking about parental involvement. We're talking about uh, parental expectations. We're talking about the availability of access to educational resources. We're talking about home environments. We're talking about living conditions. Right, and so it is so vital that we get people like Anika Jones to come in as those community resources, as those partnerships, as those after-school programs, as those family support systems, whether it be medical, social, whether it be counseling services, and, and even material-wise, even products, even enrichment material, even prescriptions. Field trips are not enough. Those field trips help to further those concepts learned in the classroom. We still need, and we're going to need, outreach programs. We're going to have to have them to manage these community problems. We got school shootings now in the mix. And the way we're headed, the direction we're headed, there, there are so many limited community resources and services. There are so many job uh, layoffs. We're going to need to have more job fairs in these schools, right? Now we have <laughs> these extreme weather conditions. Either it is too hot or it's too cold. And so we need, we're in a drought, okay, 
for opportunity for students. You may think that we are good to go because of technology, but no, we are not. Uh, the dropout, student dropout rate is at an all-time high. I want to bring in Buddy Thorne Puzzles, Changing the Pro, because first I want to ask, like, what you got going on right now? <laughs> I know I ask you all the time, but you always got something new going on. And what was your thoughts when you got this topic for tonight? Well, the first thing that I did was I realized that a lot of people have a misunderstanding about forgiveness and reconciliation. And so I went there first, and then I looked at why society struggles with those two concepts. And it's not all of society, but it's enough of society that we, we just have to address that. But as you well know, uh, I've written in the last 12 months, I've written four books and I'm about a third of the way through my fifth book. And two of those books address a lot of this directly. Uh, my book on the optimal journey to oneself, which I uh, have had previewed by several people, including yourself. And so far, the feedback has been extremely positive. And what Anika brought to the table about the primary thing that kids need to understand themselves, that's, that's one of the biggest focuses on what I'm doing currently, is getting everyone to understand that the self is the basis for everything that we do. And until we have a firm grasp on the self, we really, really struggle to go beyond that. And, that, and that's what I'm doing right now. Work, I'm working with people to understand how important the self is first because we get shamed for being self-centered and self-interested, but without that, we can't function. And, that, and that's where I'm at right now. That's what I'm working with people on. Let me, let me open up the panel real quick. I love that response. I want to open up the panel with this question. Is it easy for you to forgive someone? Is it hard for for you to forgive someone? And how do you forgive? Are there steps that you take? Are there moves that you make? How do you work yourself to forgiving someone who, by which, didn't apologize, didn't say they were sorry, and they know, or maybe they didn't know, that they hurt you? Who wants to take that? One of the first things that you have to realize about forgiveness is that it's not about anybody but yourself. I, I, I see people getting caught up and I, I want to demand an apology. I expect an apology. I want to know what they're going to do to address what they did to me. And that has absolutely nothing to do with forgiveness. Forgiveness is a self-driven concept that allows you to break the chain that ties you to the harm and the anger about the harm and the fact that it's going to anchor you in place and it's going to occupy a lot more of your brain and a lot more of your time than you can really afford to give it. So the forgiveness is an empowerment tool for the self. It has absolutely nothing to do with the other party. Whether they want to apologize, whether they want to act like a jerk, it doesn't really matter. You have to address forgiveness within yourself and that's how you empower forgiveness. You get more power by saying, I'm gonna forgive them because there's no reason other than it empowers me to get beyond what they've done. And I really don't care what they do because it's not about them. And that's the first and most important key about forgiveness that I would be willing to say 90% of people do not address. 
Buddy and I are, are so in sync because though that was the first thing that came to my mind as well. I think it's a pretty common quote, like forgiveness is for you, not the other person. I've heard something, you know, along those lines. But um, like, like Buddy said, a lot of people miss that or they do want to demand that apology. And I've, I've always personally felt a certain kind of way, like if you're trying to demand a, an apology or they didn't do it, you know, of their own accord, then how genuine is it going to be, really? Right? So um, I do think it is definitely a process. As you ask for, you know, where there's steps and layers, it is. And I think a lot of the reflection first starts with you thinking about what is the what is the reason, what is the why behind the action or the word, and, you know, evaluating, you know, whether, whether or not you did something, you know, especially if you didn't or you come to the conclusion that you didn't, just kind of moving on and just seeking your own understanding and peace. There's definitely layers to it as you kind of start to, um, I guess, play through with whatever the scenario was and watch it unfold, but definitely layer. Mm. Uh, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. You know, when you mention the word why and you read my mind, Anika Jones, because that was going to be my next question. I was going to ask the panel, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you get up every morning, rain, sleep, snow, or in your case, buddy, uh, desert-like <laughs> environment, sand. What's your why? Who, who wants to take that first? What is your why? Why do you do what you do? Because there's a lot. You do a lot. Both of you. You do so much. What's your why? So my why is truly um, understanding the purpose and also the danger, well, the, pur the purpose um, and the power in operating in, in your purpose, but also the danger of not operating in your purpose. And at this point in my life, I know that I have been called to uh, make sure that more of these skills are getting out to Generation Z, Alpha Generation, and the people, you know, raising them and supporting them because is is just too important. Like we talk about um, that understanding of self again that Buddy and I both spoke on before, but just getting to the point where if we want to make sure our young people have, well, first of all, our young people are the future, right? That we need to make sure we're equipping them. And if we want to make sure that they have those options to choose what um, path they want to take in life, career immediately, college, and then everything that comes after that, what, what are we doing to equip them? And if I know that I've been gifted with something that can equip them to be better, to make those decisions and you know, even recently having conversations with past students, they're super excited about the subscription box. They were like, wow, so every, oh, this is great. Everybody should be able to know these things, hear these things, Mrs. Jones, right? So just knowing that, I just I just know that it's too important for me not to do this work. That's, that's where I am right now. My why, I think I've mentioned a couple of times in past, uh, settings but I'm going to be a little bit selfish here and I want people to understand the drive behind the selfishness and I live in a four generation household there's been a lot of pain in some of those generations when my wife and I were quite a bit younger 
our oldest daughter got into trouble with the law because of drugs and she had to spend some time in prison and we never denied her access to our love and our attention we were always there every step that away every visit that we could make but I was continually looking at in the mirror and saying what did I do wrong that my daughter made bad choices and when she came home from prison and someone asked her the same question she looked right him in the eye and she said my parents didn't do anything wrong I made bad choices my parents love me my parents have done everything for me and I cannot be more than angry at myself for having mistreated them the way I did and her daughters she lost them for 10 whole years and when they turned 18 in each turn they came right back to her because as we all know blood is thicker than water and they forgave her and the act of forgiving her just it just fired up a big huge light bulb in my my mind and my heart there's power in forgiveness because from the year she spent in prison to now, she's running a plant with 80 employees. She's a plant manager with 80 employees. She's very successful. And she doesn't look back. But her daughters are now in their 20s. And I have great-grandchildren. I have nine great-grandchildren with a 10th one on the way. And when I look at the pain that we had between the two generations, the top two generations, and then I look at the forgiveness from that third generation, and then I look at the innocence and the wonder and the looks in the eyes of the children beneath us, my great-grandchildren. I can't do anything but understand that my mission is to make sure that their world is better than the generations before. It's a driving passion. It just pushes me really hard. And I have to share one tiny little story that will bring this really to bear to today's causation. When the shooting happened in Uvalde, my six-year-old great-grandson came home and he crawled up in my lap and he looked at me and he said, why do people want to kill me, Grandpa? And how do you answer a six-year-old? How do you answer a six-year-old? And I told him the truth as best I could. I said, there is no rhyme or reason. There, there can be no rhyme or reason that why people do evil things. But that's no excuse for us to hate them or abhor them. We have to understand that they're flawed. They, they, there's something wrong with them. And we need to look at life from a totally different lens. They did something bad. We have to accept that and we have to move on. And you, you can't fear that something like that's going to happen. And he said, but why little children? And I said, because society doesn't understand the value we're just the place keepers the children own this planet we are just the place keepers we're not even good landlords right now i mean look at the condition that we have to deal with and as long as i can make that statement i still have a mission in front of me uh, i'm so angry right now I'm, 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 I'm angry, <laughs> but I, I have to sin not. I have to forgive. Oh, wow. It's hard when you're so angry. We love these kids as, 
educators, as community leaders, we love children. Anika brought up a very, very key point. She mentioned Generation Z. We don't like to talk about it, but tonight we are. There, there's a breakdown. There's a breakdown with this generation. They are deprived. There is a hindrance. There is a a loss. There's a disconnect. There's a, a gap. And this deprivation is is killing. I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's it's, it's killing our youth. It's destroying them. It's dismantling them. It is deforming them. And we just want them to function. We want them to work. I, when I buy watches, I always check the battery. I check the battery because I want a watch. If I'm going to buy a watch, I want it to work. <laughs> I want it to tell time. I have meetings. I have commitments I have to be at. And that watch has to work for me. We need programs that work. We need programs that work. I have high cholesterol, so I have to take high cholesterol medicine. If my high cholesterol prescription doesn't work, then I'm in trouble. I want to thank you both for explaining and sharing your why, but I want to ask a question to Anika Jones. How does your program help restore mindsets? Especially during COVID-19, how are you and your team continuing to excel with your program by giving educators clear expectations while you're in the classroom, while you're doing after-school programs, while you're demonstrating to various communities on different levels with that intentionality, with that purpose of your program, how are you, and with that in mind, how are you delivering your program in a way that restores mindsets? What happened? What what changed the experience? Go ahead, I'm listening. Go ahead, we're listening. Okay, so like I did want to speak a little bit um, on Generation Z because obviously those are my people, right? So like the oldest kids are about 27, and so literally most of my educational career, that's who I've taught. And so um, for for me, I do think that yes, there's you said there's a disconnect, there's a loss. And I've, I've kind of been, uh, that's kind of been my thing. It's, that's almost like my, my calling card right now where everyone keeps talking about a loss versus um, a delay of milestones because of COVID-19. You know, like we might have certain milestones that were set, whether it's socially, whether it's academically. And it's not, it's not forever gone, though. It's just coming at a different time frame than what we've been used to. So I think one of the things that, 
my company does really well is that we help to reframe and help with perspective. Because imagine if we're looking at the situation as oh, it's a loss is gone versus okay, it's just it's, it's delayed, it's coming, right? You look at it differently, thinking about it from like a growth mindset perspective. So I want to be clear, though. I'm not just saying that all we need is some affirmations and some circles, right? It's some true mindset work that has to be done with the different stakeholders, for the kids, the adults in their spaces, uh, coming together and setting some, um, some community guidelines. What is community to you? Defining it. How is it going to operate? Um, you know, we're the guardians, so I feel like a lot of things, um, but this, this is a big topic for me. I get excited about this one because this is really, this is what I feel like we've missed a lot as the generations before them is that they were giving us feedback, but maybe we were used to looking at it or listening for it a certain kind of way. But their mirrors and their echoes, right, what, what they're showing us and what we need to hear from them looks a little bit differently. Maybe we grew up in more of a compliance a checklist-type mindset, but uh, the young people, to me, are much more creative, so they need a lot more flexibility. They're ready to have these conversations and be more flexible in their learning and their approach to things, you know. Um, I used to teach math, so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, when math teachers are very linear, uh, you know, give us a little credit, right? Yes, two plus two is four, but so is one plus three, so is negative seven plus four. Right? I mean, negative seven plus three. So it's a lot of different ways to get there. But how open are we being to getting there different ways and helping, you know, just kind of just showing maybe what the end is and giving some suggestions versus do it exactly this way. So, um, you know, having those spaces, like in different sessions, we make sure that we create that space, right? We have the guidelines set, but then also making sure that we give each other um, that true time to show up as your authentic self because I need to really know who you are so I can identify when you're moving a bit differently so then we can apply those practices and strategies that we've been discussing and learning. So, and, and again, being clear, like not being, and, you know, being brave, not being afraid to, um, when we are getting that feedback, you know, they're giving you feedback because they care, right? Because you know how they will go. If people didn't care, they wouldn't say or wouldn't do anything. But they're giving you feedback because either they're saying they need some help or they want something to go better than what it is going. But not being afraid so that you end up glossing over the feedback, ignoring it, making sure that your perspective and mindset is in such a place that you can recognize it. So, you know, just building from uh, the different phases of reflection, yourself, also um, how you show up in the different rooms. So, like me as an educator, you know, I know what my, pers you know, my perspective on life is. I know what I could convey to students and impose on them if I'm not careful and just being very specific and intentional about that. So we also use data. I'm the daughter of an electrical engineer and a social worker, right? So, like, that's how you get the SEL mixed with data because I, I still will use qualitative and quantitative data. So when we're looking at the discipline referral, you know, how many are they? Which uh, populations, which demographic information seems to be more, um, more frequently coming up? What's the reason, though? What is it? Right? Is it just truly outburst, disrespect? What is disrespect? A lot of those things, you know, those words we use and things we use, we have to truly define it so that there's a standard. 
and so also good old teacher observation, right? A lot of and a lot of programs you mentioned earlier and systems. The actual classroom teachers or the you know um, community directors, youth organization leaders, they aren't utilized as best as they can be. It's often like an outside source coming in to try to do some of the work, but they don't have that same, um, maybe not the same rapport, maybe not the same time invested. So it's the uh, process doesn't go as well as it could because it's not using like the like base one, the you know ground zero type person that's right there is not being utilized as effectively as they could in support, giving them support in tools so that they can feel more confident and can feel more effective. That was hot. That was hot. Wow. You know, oh, oh my goodness. Thank you so much, uh, Nicholas Jones, for what you bring to the podcast, what you bring to education. Uh, a lot of times when people come in to these schools on from the outside, like, like we do come in from the outside, and, you know, maybe some teachers being challenged with uh, classroom management, right, and some child just literally just, Use profanity and call a teacher out of out of their name. Call their everything, but you know, whatever. Okay, and now that student is reset and brought back to class the same day, or maybe the next day, or maybe the following day. But that child is still on that teacher's student roster. Okay, Buddy Thornton, you're the positive social change agent pro. You're the poster child for brokenness to healing. What do feelings have to do with it when it comes to being a positive social change agent pro, when it comes to being a community leader, where where does feelings, where does emotions, how do you manage your feelings? How do you manage your emotions when you are dealing with someone that is, I would say, unlovable? How do you do it? Well, the first thing I would say is that I would have to correct the direction of what you said. <clears throat> There's no such thing as an unlovable child. There may be some misdirected ch children. There may be some children who have lost their way. There may be some children who are trying to do things because they've been role modeled poorly. But there's no such thing as a child that can't be loved. And I think that given just the circumstances, the broad circumstances that I've observed and had to live with, over the last 40 years proves that. You can love any child regardless of what they do because, first of all, they still are a child. And that's very important. When you say, where, would, where do feelings come in? Well, you cannot function as a positive social change agent if you can't find a compelling interest in your heart. You have to have passion for making a difference, not just for yourself and for your family, but for anybody who is downtrodden, anyone who is maybe getting short-sheeted for any reason whatsoever, there has to be a compelling interest in making a difference. Now, I'm going to go old school. 
I firmly believe that if you have absolutely nothing to add, you need to just be quiet and sit in your chair until you have something to add. And I think a lot of people, especially the people who are brought into the school systems to do work, are in it perhaps more for the money or perhaps more for the ego-driven side of things than they are really, really embedded in their heart, interested in these children. And you can tell the difference when you watch someone present a program who has no compelling interest and no passion from someone who does. And it just doesn't have to be in the school environment. It can be in a corporate environment. It can be in the community. Leaders who can find the compelling interest never lose their way. They may get a little confused at times. Someone may give them bad advice, and they may have to reorient themselves, reframe. But the compelling interest and the passion brings them back to center. And the key to making it work is always find the move the needle cause. It doesn't do any good to have a passion about something that makes very little difference to the society around you. If you're going to be a positive social change agent, seek a way to make change. I've written this in a hundred papers. Nothing changes without stress, added to a compelling interest, and compounded with the passion in your heart. You have to have passion. You have to have a reason for being there. And you have to understand that if there is not a, an issue, a problem, a challenge, some type of stress on society, there is no move the needle cause to address. Uh, earlier, uh, Anika brought up expectations. Expectations are probably one of the biggest issues in today's society. People still get it wrong. Expectations can be good or bad. But when you pile expectations on a child and you don't give them a voice, you don't allow them to co-create those expectations, you're trying to drive a nail into very hard wood. They are not going to listen because they don't have the intrinsic motivation that you want them to have. You're trying to drive ex extrinsic motivation, which is a weak, weak substitute for the desire that comes from within. So when you tell them they have to do something or you ask them, this is the menu in front of you. This is the things we're going to try to accomplish. What, you know, where can we start first? And you allow them to co-create their environment. What you do is you create a path of least resistance for these children. And that's what being a positive social change engine is. You're finding a way to enlarge society by entering the heart first. You show these children that you care about them, and without caring about them, you wouldn't be there. And once you've gotten into their heart, they're going to pull you into their quality world. They're going to bring you inside because now they trust you. And once you've got their heart, you can teach their mind, and you can enlarge their soul. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. There's nothing, there's no value in being a positive social change agent. If you cannot convince community leaders, if you can convince politicians, legislators, other people to understand that there's only one thing that they should be concentrating on, and that's not getting reelected. That's understanding that we are just here temporarily and the next generation deserves the best start that they can possibly get. 
So why don't we start looking at what's going to get in their heart so they'll bring us in and trust us so that they will not do the negative behaviors. They will not pursue the FOMO attitude, the fear of missing out. They won't think that you only live once, so why not? Let's just live with our hair on fire. Because these kids do that. Middle school, Anika said, is the wonderful time and place. And yet I hear teachers over and over again say, well, oh, man, those are the years that are the toughest. Well, you know what? That's not true. Kids learn how to do deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning before they reach the age of 12, but they don't have abstract thinking until they reach the age of 12, 13. And so that means that now they have the full capacity of their mental acuity to look at the world through a lens. And if you allow them to co-create that and you allow them to drive that lens within the lane markers, yes, what you get is you get them to be intrinsically motivated to succeed at a goal that they helped design. And that is what being a positive social change engine is. Instead of trying to force people down a path that is designed by people, layers and layers of the onion above them, we need to let it be driven from the bottom up. Let the bottom co-create the situation that is compellingly interest-driven by them. That's my job to get community leaders, teachers, administrators, other people to understand that that's my only job, to bind the compelling interest to society in a way that makes sense for the next generation because, frankly, I think a lot of the older generation has already lost it and missed the boat. Oh, and if I may jump in uh, very quickly, I was still thinking... Uh, but while you were speaking about the, the feelings, you mentioned um, whether you're a community leader, a social change agent, a teacher, an administrator. And I was thinking, ooh, also a parent, a child, going back to what do feelings have to do with operating in your space or a specific space? Um, my thought is it, it builds and contributes to your perspective. And, you know, perspective is everything because it applies to everything. So it's literally how you look at every success or every challenge. Uh, you know, are you a half empty or half full type person? Is it, is it like is it possible or is it improbable? And your feelings, uh, which they give way to your perspective, they'll give way to you know your tone, your culture, and just how how you move, how you operate, your mo. I love the way you put that. Amelia, I think it tells me you come back to the podcast. I will. I sure will. Uh, what I was going to say is I think that when I, when I do finally get my book three and book four out, which addresses exactly what Anika just said, the books were written. The first book is for the students and young adults. The second book is in a companion book for the parents, teachers, and caregivers, the people who are in, entrusted with making sure that these children get the best optimal start that they can possibly get. And the binding agent is understanding that we're their caretakers of the environment that they need to optimize. But we are not, we're not their controllers. We're not, their, we're not there to put an anchor on them. We're not there to put a chain on them. We're there to be there when they need us. And if they don't need us, we need to sit back and we need to allow them to 
have that curiosity and, and find a way to get to the point where they do need us because they're going to come back and say, wow, you know, I've, you've let me get this far, but now I'm lost. I'm a little confused. Can you help me? And the binding agent that you get when a child comes back to the parent and I see it in my household all the time with my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. They come to me and say, you know, I'm a little confused here. Can you help me? And they wouldn't do that if they didn't trust me. They wouldn't do that if they didn't understand that I have the knowledge. I'm not going to just give it to them. I'm going to wait for them to come ask for it. You create an enhanced communication cycle, a feedback cycle that allows parents and teachers and caregivers to become relevant again in their quality world. And that's what's missing. That is the huge missing component in today's society. Oh, my goodness. Time for the takeaways. We're out of time, but let's do a quick takeaway from tonight's discussion. Who would like to go first? Okay, I'll jump out there. So just reflecting on um, the different, I mean, just I guess the different feedback cycles. I like to, just my overall topic and takeaway has to do with communication, thinking about what Buddy said, making sure that the feedback cycle is an enhanced feedback cycle. And if it's a cycle, right, adult, that means that it has to come back. We want them to come back and interact with us versus compliance. And... Um, you know, just being careful about the perspective that we're building and that we're taking on as we um, move ourselves as adults and as we interact with, with that Gen Z and alpha generation with those young people. Uh, I, I know I never compare children to pets, but anyone who's ever tried to get a dog to go outside when they don't want to go outside you got to, like, get that leash or you, you got to drag them out and they're resisting you with all their might. And that's exactly what happens with children. If you don't get them to have the desire to move forward, you may get them to move forward and comply, but that's a weak substitute for them doing it voluntarily. There is no, no substitute for seeing a child voluntarily move in a direction that just makes you sit back and go wow he gets it she gets it they get it this is powerful i uh, maybe i've got, i've gotten to a point where they are going to be just fine and that that to me that is the crux that's the satisfying point when i know that they've made it past that curve and they now have taken control of their life and they don't need us, but they will use us as a resource, then I know my job is done as a positive social change agent. Incredible. This was another impact tonight. I didn't have to educate for leadership. Good night. I heart radio. Follow us. Spotify. Follow us. Follow us. Apple Podcasts, follow us, follow us. Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast. Facebook.